Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Into the Van. I am Mike West, and I'm super happy to be here. Thank you so much for listening. This week's been really interesting, man. Uh, the support for Mothman and The Next Life is still blowing me away. It's fucking nuts. Um, thank you to, so much to everyone who uh, joined us for the Mothman live stream. Everyone who's like pre-ordered the digital, because digital isn't a real thing. It's why piracy was so prevalent like so long ago, or well, not that long ago, to be honest. Because it's easy to download a digital file and you don't really think much of it. It's just there. It's just some megabytes on your computer. It's not a real thing you can touch. Which is why for Mothman I made stickers and handwritten lyric sheets and t-shirts. And people have actually supported and bought them. And that's a huge fucking thing. And I really appreciate it. If you haven't bought them, you can head over to my band camp and get them. Um, I woke up to a record store collecting Survive in Liverpool, a local shop to me. I played a great set there last year. They're a really great pop-up record store. He messaged me uh, yesterday and was saying how uh, someone came into his shop and was looking for some Americana alt-country stuff. He played the My Record and he went away with it and bought it and he PayPal'd me the money, you know, the next day, which is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, it's those type of things that are just, like, keeping that motivation tank going and you listening to this is keeping me going. So thank you so much. It's been a humbling and really great time at the moment just to release something new and have a response from it is an amazing thing so thank you and i'm gonna drop a teaser of mothman in here now if you haven't listened to it available over on my Bandcamp. You can find it by going to mike333west.com and clicking store. It'll take you straight to it. And yet, apart from that, there's been some personal and career highlights that I'm going to be going into shortly that I'm going to be dropping in the next episode of the podcast because I got to talk to someone who I'm a huge fucking fan of and idolize and have been a fan of for many, many years. But that's for another time, guys. Let's talk about today's guest. This is episode 45 of Into the Van, and it's with Tom from Picking Bones Festival. And Tom is a great fucking champion of roots and, like, the just the all-country, dirty roots, dirty blues, just all that type of music that I love and I think you might love in Belgium. And I first met him when he was doing his old-style Music Nights reviews because he was friends and a fan of sean james and he'd done a review for him so when i first started out in this little career of mine i looked for people who had reviewed the people i was looking up to and i just messaged him and was like if you like this person you might like me and it's just kind of snowballed like that i got to play the first picking bones in 2019 unfortunately you know due to covid there hasn't been one since but it's back this year it's going to be fucking phenomenal and tom is you know one of those figures that i really 
pay attention to. He recommends so many great bands. He's such got his finger on the pulse on a lot of different genres and a lot of different scenes. He's a great guy to talk to. And I think it really shines through in this episode, man, because he is just a passionate guy. And what's interesting about Tom is he's not a musician himself. So he's in it purely for the love of it. I'm not saying, like, obviously I'm a musician and I put shows on, but that is still there's some element of me trying to put my name out there and trying to get some traction in some way tom is doing it literally for the love of it and that's a very pure and innocent and amazing thing that i really really respect him for so let's get down to it man without further ado this is episode 45 of Into the Van with mike west and tom from picking bones So you've had like family events today and stuff. Are you doing anything for Valentine's Day tomorrow? Mm, never. No. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, we are together for, let me see, I think 21 years or something. And um, we're going to be married for 15, but Valentine's Day, nah, we never. <laughs> yeah. No, never, me, yeah, no. me and my missus aren't doing anything for her. I think mm. it is one of those things that you just kind of bypass at a certain yeah. point. Or if you ever really do it even um my cousin she's 18 and had got her first boyfriend and even they're like not doing anything <laughs> for valentine's day i think sort of the tradition might be at its end let's hope so <laughs> <laughs> yeah man but, just no no go ahead go ahead no what are we gonna say you have to bring a present every now and then just out of the blue yeah and then, uh, that works perfect <laughs> yeah it does man i prefer that like I think I'd rather spread out Christmas or birthdays over the course of a year to just be like, surprise Christmas. I yeah. just keep it a bit more interesting than that. But True. Uh, yeah, I, I prefer that to just like on the 14th of February, you have to be romantic. And yeah. the th- 364 days after that, you don't really you can be, you can be an ass. Yeah, you just phone it in. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but thank you for making the time to come on to this man like obviously we want to talk about picking bones and stuff but yep. let's you know take it all the way back to your origin story what is the first music that you really like fell in love with because i know you're into your black metal and heavier stuff what was the music that you first called your own uh my i have to go way 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 back uh my cousin he was a dj and he had like like every dj back in the 80s he had a seven inches sling all over and I would ask him to play some music for me. And one of the first things that I really loved was, uh, I have no idea what the, what, the, what the band was called, but it was uh, Life is Life. You remember that song? Na, 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 na. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I must have been, I think, around six or something. Mm. But then I discovered his heavier stuff. He also used to play ECDC and stuff like that as well. And actually, that got the ball rolling into like, I'm a kid. I was born in 1980, but uh, I had my teenage years in the 90s. Mm. So um, I grew up listening to guitar music all the time. Got into metal very early. Mm. Got into black metal around when I was 16, 17, maybe. Mm. And was like really, really into it. (laughs) What was it about like black metal that like, Lord, you're in for me, it was... You know, when you grow up on ACDC and Kiss and that type of music to find that stuff where it's like, you know, electric guitars and distortion, but to the extreme, what was it about you that kind of drew you to? Uh, first thing was the artwork on the on the albums. Mm. 
We had a great record store in the close to the town I lived in. We're actually in the town that I live now in Diest. Uh, I lived in a town like seven kilometers away. And uh, the artwork that drew me in. And mm. I bought my first CD, my first metal CD, or like really the heavy stuff. I can't remember what it was. And I put it on. I was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and to be honest, the first time, do I even like this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, after a couple of spins, I was hooked on it. And uh, I, dove, I dove in head first and mm. went searching for everything. Like And like, like every kid back in those days, I started with Cradle of Filth and, uh, and Demi Borgir and stuff like that. Mm. But got into the more serious stuff yeah but i always was i can't play an instrument so <laughs> i tried to play guitar once but that didn't work out very well <laughs> so i just love music and uh, i kept delving and mm. i discovered so much more than just metal yeah I, my record collection goes from uh, of course metal to to jazz just a little bit because <laughs> that's Ebo. <laughs> he will be bothering us. Come on. Ebo. <laughs> uh, get a beagle. Yeah. Get a beagle. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. Like with him. Like I remember when I, you know, obviously listening to ACDC and all growing up on that, the first time I heard like black metal was the same time, the same experience I had when I listened to like Robert Johnson, where I was like, this sounds oh. like shit, but there's something, there's something there. Yeah, and if you listen to those early mayhem records and stuff, it's yeah. got that same, just gritty yeah. DIY lo-fi oh. thing to it. What was it that made you kind of persist oh. with that type of stuff? Was it just, you knew from oh. the artwork and everything, what was going to, be there if you just dug deeper I, I like i said i was fascinated by the artwork wow. and the first time i heard it was like wow. not sure that i liked it but wow. something was like dude wow. this is not like what wow. you're playing on the radio yeah so that means of course i knew about bands like metallica everyone i didn't go from ecdc to listening to me wow. yeah I went through the whole uh, Iron yeah. Maiden, Metallica, Sepultura. Um, but black metal did something for me that I couldn't find in a- anywhere else. And mm. uh, I think, yeah, that's... And the scene back in those, in those days was, was like a mysterious thing. Mm. Was, was, there mu- was there much of a metal scene in Belgium? Like when you yeah, were growing yeah. up? Uh, not really where I was uh, living, <laughs> but uh, there were a lot of cool concerts going on and mm. um i remember taking the train to the other side of the country and a tent and just put mm. up the tent next to the venue <laughs> as the only guy who did it because everyone was driving their cars and i mm. <laughs> i just came from the other side of the of the country with a tent i had my mm. girlfriend my back then girlfriend with me we really didn't want to go but she <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she did it anyway and uh, yeah what was the first like gigs you remember like going to and making those trips to uh, I think that one of the first real black metal gigs I went to was uh, Emperor. Mm. That was um, that was quite legend. Well, one of the bigger things. I have seen smaller bands and stuff like that, but one of the bigger ones that was uh, definitely Emperor. Mm. And uh, I used to roadie for a black metal band in the day, so uh, 
I couldn't play a guitar. Actually, I was there for the free beer. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that like rodeoing for them? Was it just like carrying everything in and out? Yeah, carrying amps and doing the merch and um uh, which I'm actually still doing now when there's <laughs> when I'm doing a festival, I'm still <laughs> carrying amps and uh, sometimes selling merch for bands. Yeah. <laughs> and from obviously the metal and stuff, what was it that like exposed you or got you interested in the root scene that you're like actively involved with now? Uh, my brother-in-law, um, he started playing stand-up bass and he started playing with a... Um, First, he played with an Elvis cover band. Mm. <laughs> but uh, then he started his own band together with his friends, uh, which was uh, the Black Hat Bone Squad. Mm. And that got me, in the beginning, more like the traditional rockabilly, but I got really tired of that very, very fast. Mm. Um, I guess it was just, it got really boring very fast. Yeah, I feel like rockabilly is a great example of capturing a decade and like a vibe but there's not really much progression you can do outside of that without it not becoming rockabilly. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, and I think one of the first encounters with, uh, with what I'm involved now was a, a Hang Tree CD, mm. which I think for many people in Europe was like a first taste of um, the, the underground root scene besides rockabilly or psychobilly. Mm. Uh, and that got me. Actually, it, it had the same effect on me as a uh, as black metal had back in yeah. the in the nineties. Oh, this is weird. Do I like this? <laughs> I had no idea I liked country music. <laughs> should I even tell someone that I like? <laughs> Isn't this the, the thing that we should be ashamed of? <laughs> so no, um, and that got me. I think after Hank, uh, the Shack Shakers, of course, uh, Bob Wayne, stuff like that. And it evolved a bit uh, thanks to the internet, of course. I think Soul Seek was still on back in those days. Mm. And uh, um, finding new music. And then Muddy Roots happened in Belgium. Mm. Or, uh, no, actually, I heard about Muddy Roots first. Was it? Nah, I think that I have the timelines a bit confused, but uh, it all blends together with uh, Muddy Roots happening in Belgium for the first time. And that opened a, opened up a mm. lot of new knowledge for us. Yeah. Uh, what what year was the first Muddy Roots? Do you remember? Oh, I have no idea. 2000 and... 2012. Oh, cool. So 10 yeah. years ago this year. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Mm. And... Uh, I remember Slim Cessna was headlining there uh, on, I think, Saturday, maybe. Oh, well, I think Saturday or Sunday, doesn't matter. Mm. And that was like, wow. I had never experienced, I had seen so many live shows, but I had never experienced a live show that Slim Cessna put on. <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, that was almost like a, a religious experience. Mm. To be, um, so I'm grateful for uh, Jason putting up uh, Muddy Roots back in the day. So, uh, yeah. Do you think like Muddy Roots Europe was instrumental in kind of what the European root scene has become with it? Because I know obviously they've got Muddy Roots in Tennessee and Europe. This seems to be like the second biggest kind of gathering of that type of music and mixture of genres. I think so. I absolutely think so. Um, like I said, uh, 
for me, I, personally, for me personally, I didn't know much about the music mm. until the Muddy Roots scene came around here. Of course, we, there, we knew about bands like the Shake Shakers because they used to tour Europe yeah. and they used to play with, um, they used to play Psychobilly shows and stuff like that. So, mm. but apart from that, there wasn't much like Jake Orvis or uh, even the Goddamn Gallows. I had never heard of the mm. Gallows before Muddy, before Muddy Roots started. So, uh, mm. absolutely. And um, with obviously like the Muddy Roots and like the root scene happening in Europe, there's such a crossover from people like you and me. And I think a lot of people have that kind of metal background and finding yeah. roots. What do you think it is about those two genres that kind of have, you know, a Venn diagram with a lot of people meeting in the middle? I think it's the purity of the music. Mm. I think metal is a very pure music genre. It's, um, and it's, it has this whole, let's say, an aura around it, mm. um, like or, or maybe a lifestyle. I don't know. And I think the root scene has a bit of this. Or I don't like to talk. I don't like to name it a scene mm. because uh, I think scenes get destroyed very easily. And uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, I think there's a similar vibe to mm. the how, how also how concerts work. Um, Metal acts seem to interact a lot with their uh, with their fans, mm. just like the punk scene. Uh, uh, and I think the the roots thing has a has that same vibe. Uh, it's just you're close to the artist, uh, and I think from a, as I said before, I don't I don't play an instrument, but I think the the roots music is very interesting to play as a metal musician. Mm, yeah, because of the. Um, it has this, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy song that you play. Oh, mm. song, of course, but I, you know what I mean? Yeah. As, as a non-musician, I can be talking a lot of bullshit because I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but as a listener, I think there's a lot of similarities in it. Mm. Uh, maybe that's why people are. Uh, yeah. I think there's like an accessibility and like a no bullshit to each and I think that's like a really interesting, I think like the fact that you're kind of on the same playing field as an audience member, as a fan and as a musician, they never seemed so unattainable or so unreachable that you don't make yeah. a connection with them. But it's just weird how like, it just seems that everyone, I know a few people complain about everyone who seems to have like beards and tattoos and shit is suddenly a fucking, you know, folk or root musician. And I'm guilty of the exact same fucking thing. So I can't throw any stones. I get those stones thrown at me, but it is weird how there does seem to have been a shift of metal musicians and metal fans embracing the country and yeah. blues and roots and making it into something else. I think it's also because it has a history. They, they know where the music comes from. And let's be honest, blues, country music, Without those genres, there would never be heavy metal yeah. or uh, or punk or uh, so. Maybe it's a, it's a sign of giving respect or uh, yeah. and discovering from. Oh wait, I can write this awesome heavy song on an electric guitar, but I can also write a really heavy emotional song on an acoustic guitar or a mm. mandolin. And I think that's where uh, if people seeing this. If I'm completely wrong, yeah. no, <laughs> let I, me know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you are onto something because you look at like um, 
Hellhound on My Trail or Devil Got My Woman or any of those songs from like the blues or you look yeah. at any of like the Knoxville Gale, like Leuven Brothers and Country, they all have those heavy, dark elements. Then metal just amplified it, put distortion behind it, and yes. then it's just been stripped back down. So I think you you are on the money for it's just kind of come full circle. And a lot of musicians like myself, it's just going back to the source and not, you know, hiding behind a wall of distortion and a wall of marshals. I like back, let's say a couple of years back when people asked me, Tom, the music you're putting on, the band that are going to be playing, what is it? And I always told them it's punks or metalheads playing their grandfather's music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And in a way, it, it it it's it's correct. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. No, I, I think that's a great way to make because I know it's hard because when I've kind of tried to promote or push bands I like, like Amigo the Devil or Sean James or whoever, you know, if a metal fa- like if you have a metal fan, you'll go, you listen to this, you will yeah, like this music. Absolutely. And it's just sometimes it's hard. People see a banjo or an acoustic guitar and they just think grandpa guitar and they don't want to touch it. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Mm. With kind of the European scene, what are the big bands to you? Obviously, you talked about Slim Cest and Shack Shakers. Who are the big bands or artists to you that kind of embody like the scene and who have been your favorites throughout like the uh, years? From Europe or uh, just oh, like generally, in, like your top like top five like artists that you've discovered from like the root scene and who you've like, uh, worked with. So we covered Slim Cest now. We covered the Shack Shakers. Um, in recent years, of course, Amigo the Devil, he's and he's becoming so big, yeah. So, um, I think that ship has sailed to ever have him play our festival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's see, of course, the Gotham Gallows uh, are in that top five for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you have oh, the devil makes three, of course, but I really used to like and without sounding like a cliche i really used to like their earlier albums mm. <laughs> <laughs> and i know it sounds like a cliche but uh, it's just the way it is uh, maybe it got a bit too too clean i don't know mm. um, and i have to be honest i haven't heard the last one so uh, but the one before that i did hear and uh, it was a bit of bit too clean for me mm. it's like um uh, what's the band called? Canadian band. The Hooten Hollers are touring with them recent, uh, very shortly. Oh, Dead South. Yeah. I really cannot get into the Dead South. No, They're I think, great musicians. Yeah. For me, it was like, I liked a couple of songs, but there's something where it's like, and this is going to, they do it too well. Yeah. Maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's too like, it's, it's like, and I'm not saying they're like Nickelback, but Nickelback's biggest crime is being really good at being Nickelback. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I yeah, think yeah. like the Dead South and that type of thing, they kind of nailed the formula, but then mm-hmm. that doesn't give them much wiggle room or make anything really interesting. And that might be a really wanky, pretentious yeah. answer. But for me, that's from for my ears. It's just like, yeah, they they've nailed it. I don't need like, yeah. there's nothing grabbing me anymore. That's what would uh, let's say Scott Scottish Byron. Mm. He can't do anything wrong for me. Yeah, because. Uh, he, that's that's the honesty that I feel when I see him play or when I hear a, a record of him. It's like, well, this is just that's Byron, yeah. and it's it's him, it's his guitar and his foot stomping on, on stuff. And uh, 
and you have this raw energy, which, and that's what I miss, I think, with, uh, with a band like The Dead Sound or maybe the latest album by uh, the, De- um, the Devil Makes Tree. Mm. And, I, and that's probably my metal background speaking. Like, I need this raw emotion. And yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, you need that connection. Like, I was talking to one of my friends before about, like, artists, and it's like, I don't like that album because, you know, I like for me, I consider, like, they phoned it in. And it's just like they knew what they were doing and they did it and there wasn't yeah. really any energy or attitude behind it. And I think I, like it, it'll it depend on each person listening to it. But I think certain people can tell for certain records when someone not necessarily gave up, but was just like, yeah, I know what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to do without any real challenge or attitude to it. Yeah, good to be. Yeah. 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 But one of the things I really find interesting about you, you're such a music fan, but you don't play instrument. Obviously, you talked about you dabbled in guitar and stuff. Is there a reason you didn't kind of stick out with a music, like an instrument or like get into a band like that? Um, like I said, I tried the guitar yeah. and I was really bad at it. <laughs> but it was probably because I like focus. Mm. Uh, like... I try. I, I bought an acoustic guitar and I did the, and after like three weeks, like, well, this is not going the way I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget, I bought an acoustic guitar when I was already uh, very much into metal music mm-hmm. because I couldn't get an electric guitar from my, for, uh, for, uh, my dad told me no, no electric guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and I just couldn't get the thing to do what I like to do. Yeah. And, and also I didn't practice it. <laughs> I thought it was way cooler running around the town with a guitar strapped to my back. I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm a guitar player now. <laughs> I couldn't play a note. So I got actually pretty early on, I got into or- organizing shows instead of playing the shows. Yeah. And was uh, that because obviously you love the music and you want to get yeah. involved and that was your outlet for it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, I, the first show I put on must have been, uh, I think, when I was... 18 years old or something. And that was a, a metal show, of course, at the local youth center. And I've done a couple of those. And then um, I got my got period. <laughs> <laughs> and I put on got shows. Um, I got heavily involved in electronic music. Mm. And we started putting on shows in, uh, in squats, uh, illegal raves and stuff like yeah. that. I have always been on the non-performing side of the yeah. uh, of music so uh, mm. and why is it about like the promoting and the booking of shows that you really enjoy doing because i like put on a few gigs and like i said this a while ago like the only thing worse than putting on a gig is not having good gigs to go to because mm-hmm. i i kind of just grit my teeth through the entire experience of it but what do you what's your highlights for putting on gigs well it's like you said uh there wasn't any good gigs. Mm. So I just started booking the bands that I wanted to see. Um, and I wish I could say I was very successful at putting on gigs where there was a huge turnout, but uh, that's not true. Mm. Um, I've done, I've put on some amazing artists on stage, um, but I guess I live in the wrong part of the country. <laughs> <laughs> um if it was to say, like, maybe Antwerp, Ghent, Brussels, turnout would have been much better. Mm. Uh, 
but it never was really a problem for me. I, I never really cared about if the turnout was bad, as long as we could pay the yeah. performance, the performance, the wages we agreed on. I was, we've, lo- we've of course lost money on this, uh, put a lot of money into it. But I never felt sorry for myself, like, ah, oh, shit, no one's coming out mm. to see the show. I always told him, dude, you've missed a fantastic show. Mm. And uh, I remember when I put on the Sean and Zander, mm. um, I told all the local punk kids, it's the guy from the Circle Jerks. He's going to be playing sh- a show. And they were like, yeah, well, but he's playing an acoustic show. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the if there's one thing I could have changed on putting up uh, putting up all those shows, it would have been no, I couldn't change because I live in this city, of course. But uh, a lot of things would have been different if I lived in another city. I think mm. because uh, yeah, you get a lot more people in, and uh, living in a small city where no one really cares about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I'm fine because I'm obviously up in the northwest of England and. Obviously, London has like a quite a good route scene, and it has like a lot of people coming out to shows. It's I'm trying to put gigs on here to just try and like build a scene or build something here, and it's the same boat as you. But it is like taking a huge risk because if people don't want to come, it's trying to get in front of them to do it. With those shows you put on, was that like late '90s, early 2000s around that time? Oh no, no, no! Uh, the, my early shows, yeah, that was a uh, late '90s, but. When I started doing like the roots music thing, mm. that was uh, after. I think we already did some shows before. I have to think. Yeah, one of the first shows that we booked as a old style music nights that was uh, Jake Orvis and the Broken Band. Mm. So that was 2012. Oh, cool! I'm with. Obviously, I want to talk about old style music nights. Was that your first like flag on the hill of you know roots music and yeah, promoting absolutely. that type of stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I booked uh, the Jake Orvis show, and um, it had to ha- it had to have a name. Mm. Like instead of just being Jake Orvis and a broken band playing, it was like Old Style Music Nights. Of all- no, it was called Old Style Music Night. Hmm. Uh, and I probably stole that from uh, the Dirt Taubers, from uh, JD from the Shake Shakers, and I think they have an album called Old time music or something mm. and uh that's why I, that's how i came up with all style music night and we just kept it uh we put on all Style music night too and then uh, my wife Ine and me we decided hey maybe we should start a website mm. because i like writing she was a photographer back in the day still is but semi-retired <laughs> <laughs> um so where i can do like album reviews uh, write about shows and she can put her photography on there mm. from the, for, for the shows that we went to. Yeah. So that's actually how it all, uh, that's how it started. Yeah. And just like, it was another way to keep busy and to be involved in a scene that I really liked. Mm. Yeah. Was there anything from like putting on shows, like your first ones to old style music that you kind of kept the same, like, where you promoted stuff and you reached people. Cause obviously with the change of the internet, that was, you know, revolutionary in how you can like promote gigs and stuff. And, you know, this was before Facebook fucked everyone with the algorithm. So I assume there was a better reach when you were starting to try and get people's these maybe online. 
I remember back in the days that I used to send out posters all over the countries, uh, all <laughs> over the country to bars that I to bars that I knew existed, like where mm. they played metal music. Just put a, a Xerox poster in an envelope and yeah. send it out. <laughs> uh, and of course, with uh, with the internet coming on, uh, we you would think you would reach more people, and of course, you reach more people, but that doesn't mean they come out. Yeah, um, we were. Lucky enough to have a, a bar a couple towns further, uh, Bacchus, which was a legendary bar in the scene. Uh, sadly, the bar doesn't exist anymore, but uh, the owner, Juice Man, he used to put up shows way before we were doing it. Um, so we could promote there. And most of the people that came to Bacchus would also attend the shows we put mm. on. So that was a bit of a, that was lucky for us. Uh, and we did have some people coming from other countries to the shows we put on. But to say, I think the best show we ever had was like 200 people, mm. um, which was fine, actually. It was because it was always at the local youth center. Well, I think we did two other shows at a, at a different venue, mm. but 200 people in the local youth center was yeah. more than enough. So, uh, and that's how you keep it manageable. You don't need any bouncers or stuff no. like that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Because yeah. I remember the first time I found you was through Old Style Music Nights because I think you'd reviewed Sean James's stuff. And this was when mm-hmm. I was on tour with him in 2017. Did you have many acts like Sean come through like U- US touring bands? Um, we, let's, oh, the list is pretty long. Um uh, <laughs> Uh, so we had Jake Orvis coming over. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, the Urban Pioneers with Sean and Zander. Uh, we had Filthy Still, SS Web a couple of times. Of course, the Hangdog Hearts, uh, Austin, who became a dear friend. Um, he stayed here a couple nights. Uh, oh, Carrie Nation and uh, the Speakeasy. And the Speakeasy. Yeah. Uh, also <laughs> had those guys crashing our house a couple of times. Mm. Um, actually, all those, and without sounding disrespectful, all those, just not the biggest bands. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. When they were on tour, uh, and most of the time, a lot of uh, Kurt's bands from uh, Rootstown, yeah. when Kurt came up with, hey, Tom, I got this band coming over. All right, <laughs> I'll, I'll book him. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I know he, he brings quality. Yeah. Um, and with us going to the States every year from Muddy Roots in Tennessee, uh, first day we come back in Belgium, Kurt would reach out to me. It's like, all right, what are the bands I need to contact <laughs> to, <laughs> to get them to Europe next year? Mm. So uh, we were a bit, uh, we were scouting for him. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. How often did you go over to Muddy Roots for Tennessee as well? Uh, I think we attended seven or eight times. Mm. Was there much of a difference between like the US one and the European one in terms of like crowds and styles and people? Or oh, it- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Muddy Roots, Tennessee is something like you have never seen the first time <laughs> you come there. Um, it was, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the festival is being held at a, a biker ranch. Um, the name... I can't remember the yeah. name. Um, and it's like a valley. You drive up you drive up there and go to a gate and there's like this huge terrain. 
and people are camping everywhere. There's a tent set up. There's a wooden stage. It looks incredible. And also the atmosphere, fantastic. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was, of course, an inspiration to uh, put on our own festivals. Mm. Uh, <laughs> But also music-wise, uh, I think uh, Muddy Roots America is much more diverse than Muddy Roots Europe, mm. while Muddy Roots Europe is really focusing on the, the roots part. Muddy Roots America has always always had that... Uh, there was punk bands playing there and uh, yeah, maybe a metal had, band here and there. Yeah, they had... Was it Ghostface Killer played there or someone from Wu-Tang was there the other year? I can't remember. I, I, could, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. was the years I didn't attend anymore, but yeah. 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 And... Uh, I always like the mix between the roots, the punk and the, and the metal thing. Uh, excuse me. Uh, but uh, to even throw in more genres, I don't know. It's, yeah. Maybe it feels like, um, like it's just another music festival. Mm. So I like um, festivals that... Like have a theme. or well, Yeah, but the theme can be like really wide, but yeah. maybe hip hop is, is a bit too much. I, I like some hip hop, but uh, maybe mm. that's a bit too wide for me i don't know yeah cool man and obviously this leads us to picking bones from old style music nights what was it? obviously you're influenced by muddy roots and the root scene what was it that really you know solidified the fact that the idea that you wanted to put a festival in? well we started with uh our first festival that was uh the pirate farm fest mm. which uh, and that came together we were a group of friends uh hanging out together going to shows together um uh, and we were like, oh cool, uh, Muddy Roots is fun. Uh maybe we can do our own festival. Mm. And we had this crazy idea <laughs> that it would be easy to <laughs> <laughs> we've organized shows in the past. How hard can a festival be? <laughs> um which actually the plan was to just do a one-day festival. Mm. And um uh, we could we booked the Gotham Gallows. Um uh, and which was, of course, a fantastic experience. To, like, yeah. yeah, we got the gallows on the first <laughs> festival. And then people were asking, like, hey, but can we come a day earlier so we can set up a uh, camp? We're like, All right, maybe we should do a pre-party. So it was Friday and Saturday mm. and uh, from day one. Um, and it was, it was just a chaotic mess. Mm. We, uh, we rented a field, which was actually flooded. Uh, weeks before the festival so it couldn't be used so we used a smaller field which was actually on a hill so the mm. was like this <laughs> we had to build a tent um, when you were standing in the tent or standing on the stand, when you're standing on stage we leveled the stage and everyone was standing like this so you were standing <laughs> straight on stage but the rest of the people were <laughs> it was a special kind of experience for the for the artists on stage mm. but it was like this really no nonsense um do whatever the fuck you want, but keep it civil. Yeah. You know, we do not want to call the cops for anything, but uh, it was just chaos. Mm. And we did that for like three years, I think three or four editions. And every year we did it, we got a bit better at organizing it and the festival got a bit, a bit better. And then egos got in the way when you work with people mm. uh, and we clashed uh, and um, people left. And I have to say, my ego got in the way. Other people's ego. I'm not ashamed to say it, that I was at fault as well. Mm. But we didn't want to give up on it. And uh, so we, we we were like, let's rebrand the whole thing because we have way too much fun doing this. Mm. Also, 
even if it's very hard work putting up a festival. And then we rebranded it, and uh, that's how Picking Bones came to life, which would have been, this year would have been the third or fourth edition, but sadly we only had one mm. because of, uh, yeah. well, we all know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What was, like, the biggest learning curve? So when you like, yeah, we're going to decide to put a festival on with Pirate Farm Fest, what was the biggest learning cave or unexpected thing that kind of came from, you know, we're going to put on this festival to the reality of, oh shit, we're putting a festival on? Uh, the money. Mm. Uh, we didn't, we really didn't think this through. We set a budget for bands and then there was like, oh shit, we need a tent. Mm. We need a sound system. We of course need a terrain and we have to fence off the terrain because otherwise everyone can get in without paying. And yeah. We're not assholes, but we would like to, yeah. like you to pay. <laughs> uh, so the money thing, that was really something that, uh, that we never thought about. And, uh, but you learn this very, very quickly, mm-hmm. how expensive it is to put on a, even a very small festival. Um, and of course, there is, we're living in Belgium. The law is not always on your side. There is like a million rules. Mm-hmm. That you have to, and I have to, uh, like, uh, you have to get permits for everything and stuff like that. So that was really the biggest thing to deal with. Booking bands is easy mm. because bands want to play. Yeah. <laughs> and you come to an arrangement of payment. Um, some say, dude, I'll play for a sandwich. And others say, well, this is going to cost you so much and we will come to an agreement. Bands is never an issue. Mm. It's always everything that's around the festival. And finding people to put on the festival, like uh, it takes a, about a week to build mm. and a week to take down. So you need a bunch of volunteers. And I think back in the 90s, everyone was volunteering for something who, wasn't, who was involved into music. And these days, it's uh, pretty hard to find people to volunteer their time. Mm. And so, of course, I am extremely grand- uh, grateful to the people that do volunteer at our festival. Uh, mm. We got a really cool crew. We don't see each other much, but mm. that, those two weeks, that's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's build this thing. And, uh, yeah, and, and do most people live locally to you in uh, or do they travel from around? Well... We moved the festival to a, a town. Yeah, you, you've played, of course, there um, to Linder, and Linder is like thirty to forty minutes away from where I live. Mm. So uh, most people have to drive, like, a, let's say, between half and half an hour and an hour to get to the to the train. Yeah. So it's not like they're just local folks. Mm. Uh, one of uh, my co-organizers, he lives in Linder. And he got us the terrain with uh, because he uh, he started talking with the mayor of the town. They were like, "Yeah, well, there's a little field you can do it." In. All right. Mm. So normally we we would never have been in uh, in that town, but we're very grateful because the mayor is on our side, and <laughs> that's also a thing you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, local government. Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's really by accident that we are doing the festival where we are doing the festival. So mm. uh, we tried to put it on here in the, in Dist, 
and we came to an agreement and then uh, some bike race was happening the day after or the day before and the police said well you can have a festival <laughs> on the same day there's a bike race because blah 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 sports mm-hmm. go first and <laughs> yeah. so we had to find another terrain and that's how we get to Linder. <laughs> yeah cool and with obviously pick and bones it was was it 2019 was the first one i've got the yeah. poster behind me on yeah. the door um yeah because i remember i think i passed it any because i saw one poster left like hanging up somewhere i think it flipped around someone was using it for a sign for tillits and i was like can i have this before i leave <laughs> i still have about i think 500 of the second edition which were never used <laughs> yeah. I know, it's such a shame like all the marketing that must have gone into like tons of things like that was probably at least half of the amazon rainforest in you yeah, know, misused and wasted gig posters for the last couple Absolutely. of years. <laughs> uh, I, actually, I picked up the flyers uh, the day Belgium went on lockdown. <sighs> yeah, I was like, I got a call from the print shop, like, all right, Tom, your flyers are ready. So I rushed over, two big boxes. I was like, yeah, I got the flyers, took a picture, sent it to the rest of the crew uh, via messenger. And an hour later, there was a news uh, report, like, Belgium's going into lockdown. So I'm like, what? <laughs> So uh, I think, and I think every promoter is stuck with a bunch of flyers and uh, yeah. yeah. Oh well, yeah, w- yeah. Was there a like difference, obviously, between Pyrofarm Fest and Pick and Bones? Was there a like genre change or anything, or was it kind of like the same type of stuff that you wanted to bring there across? There was a bit of a genre change, which was uh, a choice that we made. Uh, we wanted to go a bit wider. Mm. Uh, not just stick to the roots music, but uh, also put on a punk band, uh, more metal, uh, but still something that uh, that would that everyone no, you can please everyone. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I will never put a black metal band on a, on a picking bones festival mm. because that would not fit in the in the idea that we have with uh, picking bones. Mm. We call it an alternative roots music festival. And now even more, I call it just an alternative music festival. Mm. But there is a line somewhere that... Uh, yeah. I think it's from what I saw for Pick and Bones, because you had like 20 watt Tombstone playing, who are really fucking heavy, but he's still playing with a slide, and Tom's still got that rooty vibe to him where he is bringing in it in from like Blind Willie Johnson and that type of music to play it. While I think like, obviously, if you have a black metal band, they can be inspired by it, but there's nothing roots based about it. Nope. But we also did have Toxic Shock, uh, which are basically a, tr- a hardcore trash band, yeah. and they have nothing to do with uh, with roots music. But mm. uh, in my feeling, it's like I know a lot of people in this in this scene like mm. them, and they're a Belgian band, and yeah. they're perfect to headline or to headline Friday night uh, at the small at the outside stage. And it worked. So, yeah. <laughs> apart from the fight that broke out, out during their set, <laughs> someone couldn't handle their beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after, but, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. After the first pick and bones, obviously, what was it that was like made a success to you that made you want to carry on with it and, you know, keep it going? Uh, it was financially not a success. Mm. Uh, it was, we didn't lose any money. It was just like a break even and maybe, well, there wasn't any profit. Let's say that. Yeah. But 
we thought uh, we worked so hard for this new concept, this new place where it's taking place, uh, where uh, where it's happening. Um, and we said, like, you know, this is the first time we cannot expect this to be a, an instant success. Mm-hmm. Even if we come from the, the Pirate Farm Fest, this is a whole new thing. And we decided to give it another go. Mm-hmm. And we made clear, we made it very clear to ourselves with our, our small crew, like, it has to, the next edition, it has to bring this much money. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're going to just quit. Yeah. Because you have, you need to have like uh, some money in the bank to put on a festival. And uh, you don't have to be like, ah, oh, shit. There's one, two, three. Oh, we still need like 20 people to get in today so we can break even. Yeah. You don't want to do that during the festival. So, uh, and we made this decision if there's not an amount of this many euros after each edition, just call it quits. Yeah, that's very simple, and it's also very safe to say like you're not going to get in legal problems with uh, you. You can pay your yeah. suppliers and stuff like that. So uh, mm. that's kind of important. Mm. And what was the reception? Obviously, the first one from my perspective, it was amazing. My only critique was I think the Manus brothers were stood outside my camper van the entire night fucking talking. Because <laughs> 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 I had to leave at like five in the morning, so I went to bed after like moonshine wagon. I think set. And literally, I like was like, good night, guys. And they were stood outside talking. And I woke up at five in the morning. They were in the exact same place, <laughs> still talking. <laughs> <laughs> but apart from that, it was an amazing experience. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I am very proud of what we did that year. Um, it looked like a professional festival. Mm. And that was something that... Uh, uh, the Pirate Farm Fest never looked like. Uh, mm. Pirate Farm Fest was one big chaos, an enjoyable chaos. Mm. Uh, but Picking Bones actually looked like someone put some thought in it yeah. and uh, tried their very, very best <laughs> to make yeah. it work. And it, it lo- really looked like that. And that's mm. something we, we take a lot of joy and pride in. Yeah. And I that's... Have, yeah. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we... And it's something that we wanted to do, like put on a, a really professional looking fest and feeling also for the artist mm. that everyone's taking care of, uh, the people coming, paying, of course, the ticket, but still have this feeling of uh, freedom and do whatever the fuck you want, yeah. as long as you obey the couple of rules that we have. Uh, there is no security at the door. Uh, there's no one checking your bag. Uh, and I think that's very important to have a, and just music. There's a stage, there's one stage, there's the other stage. You can get beer there and you can get food there. That's it. Yeah. You don't need a Ferris wheel on a music festival. No. And uh, <laughs> So I think that's yeah. very important to keep yeah. it pure. No, definitely. I think it worked really well. And what was the like, feedback after that with, obviously the second one was meant to go ahead and you have that kind of figure in your mind about what you want to hit, achieve was the response when you went live with the second one for tickets? What did it go better than you expected? The ticket sale uh, took off really, really quick and really well. And then, of course, <laughs> hmm. it all came to a stop. Uh, and people are still waiting to buy tickets now. We, we hmm. see this. Uh, restrictions are going to go away normally. Uh, 
but people are still waiting a bit to buy mm. tickets. And I understand because I would be the same. Mm. Have, uh, people held, a, have people held on to the tickets they got? Yeah. Uh, we told everyone, like, if you want a refund, no problem. We'll give you a refund. And I think, let's say that we had a, that 70 people bought a ticket in the first couple of weeks. Maybe seven people asked for a refund. Mm. Cool. So that's, that's cool. Mm. Um, and, you know, we only sell 500 tickets. That's a limit we we put on there ourselves. And I think we're now, we only sold 100 tickets by now, mm. which doesn't seem much. But we're fine with that. We'll see what happens. Mm. Um, I think in the climate that you're in, I think that's really good going because it's yeah. everyone's so cautious about buying shit now that I think that's really good. I mean, I don't think until like the month of and when restrictions have been gone and they've been gone a while, yeah. that's when we're going to see stuff starting to kick back in. Also, we have, we have been waiting to uh, to have the posters sprinted and stuff like that and uh, flyers. and Okay, we're, we're doing promo on, on Facebook and, uh, and Instagram, of course, but I'm not going to put any, any money in to maybe just throw away again 500 yeah. posters. And, uh, and I think once those are in, and you start putting them up and gigs are happening again because there's yeah. no way you can advertise this for the moment mm. because there's no gigs happening. And uh, until I think it's, yeah, bars still have to close at 11 in Belgium for now. Mm. By next week, they can go open as long as they want again. But people are not looking forward or not aren't, wait, well, we are all waiting to go to a show, but no one is like, oh, there's a poster. Let's buy a ticket now. Yeah. because <laughs> So, now restrictions are coming down, so I think ticket sales will go up by now. So, mm. No, cool, man. And obviously, the second festival, how obviously you've talked about booking the bands is the easiest part. Who or what was your approach to booking the bands this year? Because obviously you've got Possessed by Paul James playing, my buddy Uncle Wormwood's there. So what was kind of your approach? Did you reach out to a lot of people? Did some get in touch with you to play? Um. I'm going to take the poster right here with me. <laughs> uh, there, is, there are, of course, bands that uh, I have to reach out to myself, like the picture books. Uh, that was not easy to get them. Uh, uh, they uh, have an... I forgot you had the picture books. I saw them yeah. opening for Clutch the other year. They're fucking brilliant, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I remember the, hearing them the first time. I was like, mm, I didn't like the name. The name, the picture books. <laughs> yeah. like, that's kind of a weird name. But then I saw them. I was like, wow. The... It's so fucking intense. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I was trying to get them for the, actually for the first uh, festival, but that didn't work out. Uh, and so I was really glad to get them for uh, the second one, which didn't happen then, of course. And then the third one didn't happen. And so now we have them again. Uh, but uh, it was really hard getting them. They're, they're with an English uh, booking firm. Mm. And communication was a bit shaky. But once I got the uh, confirmation from the band itself, it's like, oh, yes, we got them. And uh, that's really hard. To, uh, they were really hard to get, but we got them very glad mm. to have them. Urban Voodoo Machine, is uh, they're, uh, they work with uh, Sedate Bookings from Holland. Yeah. And what I do every year uh, when I start booking again, I go to Sedate, their website, and see who's touring. Because they have a really good roster of bands, yeah, and uh, mostly I pick my headliners from the Sedate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love working with the guys from Sedate. 
Um, and it's always easy with them. So yeah, yeah, I'm using them for it. I've got I used was it Sierra Farrell and John R. Miller. I was booking through so they booking and then they obviously have like the UK side of things and yeah. I kind of do the same thing as a musician. I see who they're booking for UK tours to yeah. see who I can kind of get a support slot for if I can yeah. wear my way in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And then, and then uh, other bands, they, they reach out to you. Uh, hey, Tom, we would love to come and play if it's possible. And I'm always very honest to bands about that. Like if I like your music and I have a spot, you're welcome to come and play if we come to, if we can come yeah. to an arrangement. Um, there are of course bands that ask a ridiculous amount of money and I'm like, even bands that are that no one heard of, maybe mm. have released an album, and but uh, that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but most bands, I reach out to myself. It's like um, I see who's going to be touring, um, or just send them an email. Like, hey guys, I'm Tom. I'm doing this festival. Uh, what's it going to cost me to have you guys play? Yeah. Uh, and I think that approach. I like, I like it. It's, yeah. it's honest. It's it's direct, and um, actually, it never fails. Mm. If if a band says this, uh, we want have, we want to have like a thousand euros, and I'm like, well, sorry, can't get you that. I can't give you this much, and they say, yeah. okay. If they're not okay, all right, no hard feelings. <laughs> On to the next one. Yeah. So, mm. And of course, this year I have been booking more Belgian bands. Or European bands mm. because of the the pandemic, they had less opportunities to play. So we just we did a bit more of a focus on European bands than we did normally. And well, yeah. that's quality enough. So <laughs> cool, man. Do you want to do a quick like run through of the lineup? And is there anyone you've not seen play before that's going to be new to you at Pick and Bones as well? Uh, let me see who have I never seen live on stage. Cattle from Canada, never seen mm. them. Uh, Pinebox, uh, Pinebox Serenade, also never seen them. Um, who else? Oh, and Uncle Wormwood. I have never seen Uncle Wormwood play. Oh, he's fun, man. You're really going to fucking I've, enjoy him. I have actually seen him with another band. Uh, I think it was called Suwara or something. Mm. It's really dark. Um, uh, weird <laughs> uh, as uncle wormwood yeah never mm. and i he's opening up the festival on friday evening yeah which i regret a bit but that's all, that's one thing i hate about putting up a festival is time slots yeah who is gonna open up and who's gonna play when and it always feels so disrespectful and you don't want to do it you just you just do not want to be the guy who says like, and I had to do it with you as well. Hey, Mike, you're opening. Yeah. And it feels, it feels terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as a musician, I quite like the, like the idea of opening because the bar is not, I, I get to set the bar instead of having to like follow someone. Of course. So yeah. For me, the pressure's off. If you're opening a festival, you kind of get to set the tone for it. So I don't, I personally don't mind it. If you ever yeah. want to book me again, I'll open any any <laughs> day. You, if you bring uh, the, the violin, uh, the fiddle player with you. You're, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I get what you mean with that kind of scheduling. Do you have, now obviously you have your headliners and then mm-hmm. do you have the middle bands? It's just kind of you work out 
who'd work well. Yeah. Your- I'm trying to do that. Like, all right, uh, so we have the, the stage in the tent and then we have the outside stage and it's like, it has to fit into each other. Yeah. I don't want to have like um, a slow, dark band playing the main stage. I don't like to call it the main stage, but basically mm. that's easy. And then have the same kind of vibe on the other stage. Mm. So it has to be, let's say, sad here, happy here. Yeah. <laughs> so that is very important for me that uh, that it flows, that uh, people get to go from one band to the other and say like, all right, this was a totally different show, but both of those bands were like quality, but totally different. Yeah. And that I think is very important when you put on uh, the lineup and the time schedule. Mm. And of course, um, I wish I could put a, one of the, the lesser known bands on the top bill. But of course, yeah, you know how it, it, it Yeah, it, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Yeah. Like the only time I've seen that kind of happen was when Trivium played Download in 2005. It was like just as Ascendancy came out. And for some reason, they were meant to play like the second stage and then there was a main stage dropout. So they got bumped to the main stage and that was kind of like the, like that was where their career kind of took off. And that's an amazing thing to do. But yeah. when you're planning and running a festival and you're working with all these artists to put someone high up, who's not got a yeah. track record or fan base is just, a, you know, it's, it would be amazing, but it's not, it's, just, it's still a business at the end of the day. And you still need to have that attraction and draw for people. Yeah. I was planning for a bit for uh, the wedding funeral to have like uh, a late, late show mm. uh, after the headliner uh, at the at the small stage. Um, but I was like, I don't think people are going to be interested in after the picture books or uh, after um, the urban voodoo machine mm. to go back to the small to the smaller stage and listen because the wedding funeral is listening music. Mm. And it's really dark and eerie. And the vibe would be perfect because it's middle of the night. And uh, But I, probably everyone's going to be drunk. Yeah, everyone's and, drunk and, and tired and just wanting to... Because I remember I went to Hellfest and um, King Diamond was playing after either Sabbath or Ramstein, who'd like headlined. And King Diamond was playing after. And I love King Diamond. I hadn't seen him. I was like... I can't fucking sit through this. I'm fucking <laughs> dead on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> so I threw away that plan, <laughs> but I'll make sure uh, when they play that it's going to be, that, that there's going to be an okay setting. Even if yeah. the sun is out and uh, I'll just do something with the stage that to, to make it feel a bit yeah. darker. <laughs> yeah. You have to like set up like huge, like some blocks or something to just, yeah, of something like darken that. it. <laughs> Yeah. Was there any moment during the first pick and bones where you were like, oh fuck, we've like done it and you like got that sense of like pride and realization that you've managed to put this together and bring all these people and musicians together? It usually happens right before the Saturday night headline place. Mm. Because I know everything went well, everything come on, get on here. <laughs> <laughs> uh everything went well, uh, everyone's happy, uh Maybe the turnout wasn't that great, but there weren't any incidents. Everyone had fun. All the musicians had fun. All the people that paid for their tickets had fun. Mm. 
and then there's this weird sense this feeling comes over you like (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) I can finally enjoy (laughs) (laughs) because it's a really really stressful weekend Um, I for every band that arrives I welcome them personally and show them around I need an assistant (laughs) 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 so actually I'm on my feet the whole day actually the whole weekend from early morning I go to bed as uh, as the last one well not the people staying up at the campsite Mm. but uh, not the Manus Brothers yeah not the Manus Brothers (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but the feeling that you get when you know, like, all right, it's almost at an end. Yeah. I can finally go stand on a dance floor and... Uh, <laughs> Appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And I also try to see every band playing. Even if it's only for, like, 15 minutes, mm. I I think it's very important that... Uh, I don't even know if, if the bands care about it, and I'm pretty sure most of them don't notice me in the crowd. But I think it's very important mm. that I can tell them like hey, afterwards, great gig. Yeah. They're like, yeah, right. You didn't see us, but I can say like I did because this and that happened. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. Cool, man. And obviously all going well with Pick and Bones 2, which is meant to be four. Pick and Bones 3, which should be five. <laughs> Are you working on that at the moment or is it just all systems go for two at the moment? Uh, all systems go for two. Yeah. I have, of course, a wish list of bands that I would love to book, but yeah. I think we're just going to go ahead and uh, try and do this one first. And, uh, yeah. Cool, man. I, I assume Grave Dance is on that list. Of course. <laughs> 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 By the way, thank you for pointing him out. Yeah. No, no worries, man. It was great to see him playing in Chester and then realizing he was in Scotland, like he wasn't going back to the States, like that he's living in Scotland now. So it's cool to know that, you know, he's. He's close. <laughs> I'm going to see him, by the way. In a, He's opening up for uh, Sean James on the Euro Tour. So we booked yeah. tickets for uh, one of the Germany gigs. Yeah. So I'm uh, actually more... Of course, I'm very excited to see Sean again, but uh, yeah. I'm really, really, really excited to see Grave Dancer doing yeah. this thing. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, Do you have any other plans for this year? Obviously, you've got Pick and Bones. Are you looking to put in any other gigs or is it just the festivals? The uh, we decided to just do the festival. Mm. Uh, during the summer, uh, we helped out a local uh, summer bar mm. and we put on some um, some acoustic gigs there. Mm. And it was fun, but it was not really... So- we didn't really put our name behind it. We just helped someone out. Yeah. Um, but apart, yeah, we just let's take the festival and uh, let's see what happens with the festival. Yeah. Uh, I tried to uh, start writing again for also music nights, but I just can't find the time. No. Um, we started a little other business on the side. And uh, so most of my free time goes to that. Mm. Uh, but as long as we can, I will, the festival, that's the main focus. Yeah. No, definitely. And actually, we, yeah. we are ready to go. I mean, we just need an okay from the government. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. And outside of the gigs you're putting on, like Pick and Bones, have you got tickets to see anyone that you're really so about? Because I know Amigo just canceled his European yeah, tour. He, yeah, he canceled the whole tour. Yeah. We, of course, had tickets. Yeah. Um, if I had to, if I had printed all the tickets that I bought for uh, shows during the pandemic, I would mm. have like a stack. Yeah. 
of cancelled dreams. <laughs> Do you have any that you're still holding on to that are meant to be happening this year that you're going to? Um, also cancelled, uh, but uh, Vet Buenos Ende, legendary mm. uh, Norwegian, let's say, avant-garde metal band. Mm. Um, that was one thing I was really looking forward to, but it got cancelled again. Yeah. But it's rescheduled to 2023. Yeah. So I had tickets to see Ulver. Mm. Um, and it's one of my favorite uh, bands in the world. Uh, also cancelled. Um, but roots music wise, there's actually nothing except for Amigo the Devil. Mm. Um, because there was nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. There was nothing really booked in. It's, everything's just so tentative and everything yeah. got knocked back to 2023. I am looking forward to uh, the Roots and Roses Festival. Mm. They um, put on a really exciting lineup for this year. They also went, they are going for two days now. Oh, cool. Which I'm not going to attend. I'm just going to pick one day. Yeah. Uh, because I think it's going to be uh, Sunday and Monday because always on the 1st of May. Mm. So uh, I'm just going to pick the day that I want to see the most bands. Mm. Uh, and I hate camping. So I'm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I build a house for a reason. I don't want to sleep in a tent. Yeah, no, <laughs> makes total sense, man. But we've, we've come up to the hour mark and, you know, I want to yeah. you know, thank you so much for having us. I don't want to take up too much of your nights, but do you have anything else that I haven't asked you or anything about picking bones or anything you need to shout about before um, I leave you? Well, we didn't really talk about the bands, but uh, I'm pretty oh, sure you'll... Go through um, the bands if you really want. Really fast, yeah. really fast. So, uh, Fat Bass Mountain Boys, uh, new Belgian band, uh, actually from uh, the Muddy Roots uh, area. Mm. Um, really fun, uh, traditional bluegrass and uh, roots band. White Trash Dating Service is, a, I call them a cover band, but I do not book cover bands. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's a, it's a, it's a, the band from one of my co-organizers. And, mm. uh, they just mix popular songs into trashy country music. Nice. <laughs> and they're going to play uh, on Saturday morning during breakfast. Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, a new idea we're trying. Of course, yeah. Uncle Wormwood, you all, everyone knows him. Braca is a new Belgian band. Uh, you know the Freeborn Brothers, of course. Yeah. Uh, do you know their early work? Not so much. So they were just a two-man thing uh, mm. with a banjo and a... We call it Trexac. How do you call it in English? An accordion. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so these are, these are two brothers, Belgian brothers. Um, and I've seen them once and they just blew me away. Mm. Amazing folk music. And I really think they're going to hit it really hard at the festival. Mm. People are going to love them. We have Evil Daltons back, a German psychobilly band. They played the open mic stage for a Pirate Farm Fest once. Oh, cool. Um, and they asked me, hey, Tom, we would love to come back because uh, your festivals is something completely different than we normally play because they only play psychobilly shows. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, man, come over again. It was fun. Walrus, uh, also a Belgian band. Um, I, t- I don't want to sound disrespectful to them, but uh, let's just call them the Belgian uh, Kings of Nothing. <laughs> um which actually is a big compliment because yeah. <laughs> kings of nothing are uh, have like a god-like mm. 
thing. So uh, it's a huge compliment. The wedding funeral. Mm-hmm. My very good friends Darren and Ethel from uh, Jersey City, uh, Gothic Americana thing with a with a musical saw. <laughs> it's gonna people are gonna love or hate it. It's there's no mm-hmm. in between. So uh, I hope they love it. Yeah. Pine Box Serenade, of course, which is a band that's one of the, I would not pioneers of the music, but they were very early in the in the Gothic Americanas uh, yeah. thing. And then I think they got they stopped all of a sudden and they started again. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yep. Um, who's, oh yeah, Loud Love, Belgian hardcore band which normally we wouldn't book, but uh, I was like, I like this. Mm. It's uh, late 90s emotional hardcore stuff and uh, actually a local band from here. So they asked if they could play. I was like, yeah, man. Cool. <laughs> Prince Beastly, uh, they're going to be a party. It's this garage punk thing, but with a really cool organ and a... It's going to be nuts. Those, mm. The shows I've seen from those guys are all dressed up in crazy costumes and the crowd goes mm. into a moronic state <laughs> throwing crash, uh, trash cans around and stuff like that. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Jesco from Holland. Great band. Uh, love their latest album. Uh, and I, I felt like I needed to put them on stage mm. because uh, they, they deserve much more recognition than they get. So, uh, that's why. Cattle, Canada, we have already talked about them. Yep. Uh, great garage rock band. And then uh, we have Your Highness. Uh, Your Highness is, let's say, Belgium's number one sludge band. Cool. Uh, it's going to be heavy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's there to hear some uh, traditional folk music and he's going to walk in uh, to the Your Highness show... People are going to be a bit shocked. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that Bronco, everyone knows that Bronco from their uh, early country music to their black uh, country, as they call it, or black folk, as they call mm. it now. Really excited to have them. Uh, I love what Matt and his guys are doing. So uh, then we have the Pinebox Boys again. They played yep. the, the first year. They asked to come back, and I was like, of course you can come yeah. back. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so good. <laughs> Possessed by Paul James is an honor to have. Phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I was really happy when uh, I got the offer from Sedate Bookings to uh, to book him, and I was like, "Yeah, mm. doesn't I don't even care uh, what do you want for him. Just yeah, yeah, we want him." Urban Voodoo Machine, man, uh, I love the Urban Voodoo Machine. I've uh, never seen them live, and obviously really? they're, a, they're a UK band. Yeah, and I'm I'm nagging. There's a venue near me that's got them on. And I'm nagging them to get the support slot for them. Yeah, man. I, I've seen them, I, I think, four or five times. And it's a party every day. Mm. So uh, really excited. And there, it's 12 people. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I have to put them in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hotel owners. Um, well, the local hotel is going to be flooded with uh, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the picture books who are going to headline Friday night. Uh, really excited about them mm. as well. Uh, we are used to having uh, American headliners. And I'm actually glad to have like this. Yeah, we have the UK and Germany headlining this year. Mm. And uh, I think it proves. And of course, we love our American bands and friends. But uh, I think it proves that 
Europe has a, a quality scene to put up a festival. So uh... yeah, definitely. I think with American bands, or if you're touring anywhere, it's like there's an exotic element to people to be like, oh my god, they've traveled like this far. They must, they must be good. While, <laughs> while if a Belgian band is playing Belgium, or you know, as a UK artist, I'm playing somewhere in the UK. It's like. Yeah, you're 30 minutes away from your house. You yeah. are not, you're, you're not special. And it's like, but I am still quite good. And they're like, yeah, but you aren't from Texas. So go fuck yourself. I know exactly what you mean. A metal, a black metal band from Norway must be good because they're from Norway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of the same idea that uh, people have when uh, talking about this music. While, uh, of course, it's not true. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're from, if your heart is in it. Yeah, and you and you can play your instrument. I think that's the most important thing. So, uh, just as this with organizing a festival. Yeah, man. Exactly. <laughs> if you're in it for the money. <laughs> yeah, you you're not gonna do well. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and there we have it, guys. That's episode forty-five of Into the Van, Into the Bag. And if you're doing it for the money, you are in the wrong fucking thing. Thank you so much to Tom for talking about his festival, his start, his music, his taste. It was an absolutely great chat. It was great to see him again. I hadn't seen him since 2019. We talk on Facebook and stuff, but it was nice to just sit down and chat with him for a while. Um, yeah, keep enjoying the things you love. Keep supporting the things you love. Keep listening to Into the Van. Give me a review on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you are. It really does help. And yeah, guys, till next time. Peace.